Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Hello, this is Pastor Mark A. Stroud, and I thank you so much for joining me for another broadcast right here on Kingdom Rock Radio. Well, today I've got a very special treat for you. We had Sharon Sewell. She is a dynamic teacher of the Word of God, and she is speaking from the subject of understanding the blood covenant. Oh my Lord, understanding the blood covenant. Every born again believer needs to hear and understand that you have a covenant with God. And the word covenant means agreement. I'm telling you, it's something that is written in the blood of Jesus that God will not turn away from. This is awesome. And this is an awesome message, a three-part series that you have to hear. So share it with a neighbor, share it with a friend. They've got to know about their covenant rights in Christ. So now let's continue in this series. This is part number two. There is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I'm so grateful to be here with you and to be able to study God's Word with you. Last week we looked at basic customs of cutting covenant that have been passed down through generations. Our goal is to see in picture illustrations what it means to be in covenant with Almighty God. Three major covenants in Scripture have a relationship to our salvation. The Abrahamic covenant, the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, the law, and the New Covenant, which is the covenant of grace. Let's take a brief look to begin tonight at the Abrahamic covenant. If you will go with me to Genesis chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse number 5. And he, that is God, took him, that is Abram, outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to him, Abram, as righteousness. That was the moment in which Abram was saved, according to Galatians. We'll see it. He believed in the Lord, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, Oh Lord God, how may, I, how may I know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and, remember from last week, cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. He had to wait a while. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, while they will be enslaved and oppressed 
400 years. Did that happen? Yes. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, watch it, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which, what did what? Passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, cut a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, and the Kadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Raphaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. So God marks out the land that he is promising to Abram. Do you suppose that when it's all said and done, they're going to have that land? Yeah. This is Israel. All right, now, let's watch. Who made a covenant with whom? God made a covenant with Abram. This covenant promised two things. It promised a land and it promised a seed. Now, the promise of the seed is explained in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Galatians 3, 16 explains it to us. He says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So he tells us that Jesus Christ is the seed. Now go back to Genesis and let's go into chapter 17. You'll recognize this from last week, I hope. Let's read it. Beginning in verse 1, Genesis chapter 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Watch this. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. There's the changing of names. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. 
And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. So he's including in the covenant all the generations of Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant. There's a covenant cut. Shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not one of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. Now what I have studied that this means is God, part of God's name is an H. It's a heth mark. Jehovah. Yahweh. And so what he's done is he's put that mark in Abram's name to make him Abraham. And now he's put it in Sarai's name to make her Sarah. So there's the change of names. And I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. Now, I'm gonna go to Galatians chapter three. And read verses 5 through 7. Does he then, does God then, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure, watch this, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Look down in verse 28. 
Genesis 3, I'm sorry, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. If you believe God, the God that Abraham believed, you are Abraham's offspring. You then are going to be included in the covenant that God has made with Abraham. You with me? All right. Now, let's see if the customs of cutting covenant are seen in our relationship to Christ. Now remember, Christ is Abraham's seed, and we are descendants of Abraham as well if we have the faith that Abraham had. So let's, um, let's think about last week when we talked about the steps that they went through in traditional ways to cut covenant. First thing was there was an exchange of robes an exchange of robes or coats. And we said that symbolically that means putting on one another. Putting on one another. So I'm going to read now some verses in the New Testament. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. He says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You have received His robe. You have put him on. All right? Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So what am I going to do? I'm going to put him on. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So I'm going to put, take off my old self. Who am I going to give my old self to? I'm going to give it to Christ. And I'm going to put on Him. He's going to put on me, and I'm going to put on Him. Now, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How's that? I put him on. So we are to put on Christ. Now, was Jesus, our covenant partner, ever clothed with our likeness? 
Let's answer that question. Did he really put on me? How did he put on me? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not, uh, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he made himself nothing. He put on humanity. Now Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus. We do see him. We see Jesus who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Skip down to verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Who's that? Us, believers. Therefore, watch verse 17. He had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So guess what? He has put on us, and we are to put on him. So we have exchanged character with him. Now the second thing they exchanged last week was belts, or sometimes they're called girdles. And you remember that the belt or the girdle symbolized strength. Um, let me take you to Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah chapter 40, have we exchanged strength? Isaiah chapter 40, and I'll begin in verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will do what? Gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul is speaking, and he says, And he, Christ, has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Is he going to make us strong as our covenant partner? Yes. Now, look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. You know it. I can do all things through Christ who does what? Strengthens me. So we've swapped. He took my strength. I took his. All right? Now, then they exchanged weapons in the series that we looked at last week. The exchange of weapons represents an exchange of enemies. Is God responsible as my covenant partner for defending those who are in covenant with him from enemies? Let's watch it. Look at Psalm 105. We'll begin with Psalm 105. And verse 8, he has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few men in number, very few and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to oppress them. And he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Now let's go to Acts chapter 8. Let me show you something. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Now skip to chapter 9 and verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, 
both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, what does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. What was Saul doing to followers of Jesus Christ? He was persecuting them. He was putting them in prison. They were killing them. And so why did Jesus say to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because they are covenant partners. The believers are covenant partners with Jesus. And to persecute a covenant partner is to persecute him. Amen. See it? Where was Jesus? In the believers. He was in the believers. Now, what is God going to do to a Christian's enemies? 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. So he's writing to people who are suffering. They're being persecuted for the kingdom. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who, who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Is he going to take on our enemies? Yes. 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 If God is going to defend us, if God is going to defend his children, how are we to respond to our enemies? Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Now, he's going to deal with them, so I'm supposed to let him. Right? So he says he's going to take it up. He's taking on my enemies. I took on his. I'll show you that in just a minute. Okay? So Romans 12, and skip down then to verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
But if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. You do your thing. Let God do his thing. Yes, yes. All right? Matthew chapter 5 is one more. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking. He says, you've heard it was said that you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But... I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may show that you are sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he's taken on our enemies. How do we take on his? It's great to have God take on ours, but what do we do? 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. It is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Who is the prince of this world? Satan. Satan is the prince of this world. And so this is his, this is his stuff. So he says, don't love it. How am I going to deal with God's enemy? Who's God's enemy? Satan. How am I going to deal with him? I'm not going to love his stuff. I'm not going to love his stuff. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So our job is to deal with Satan. God's job is to deal with all of my enemies. I never have to defend myself. 
in covenant with the Lord Jesus, I never have to defend myself. I, I side with God's enemy when I, when I have envy and arrogance and anger and quarreling. I'm teaming up with the devil. And so my job is to love God and war with the devil and let God war with whoever doesn't like me. Next thing they did was take the walk into death. <clears throat> now remember back when we read Genesis 15 while ago that God cut a covenant with Abram. And when we read verses 9 through 21, it showed God walking through the pieces of flesh. That, that oven, that light that Abraham saw walking between the pieces of flesh, what's called a theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. All right? And only God walked through those pieces of flesh. Now, this is important. And the first time I learned this, it blew my stack. And I want you to see this. All right? Only God was walking through pieces of flesh. God promised Abraham the seed. And we saw in Galatians that the seed was Christ. Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. This covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham, was to include all of the spiritual descendants of that seed, all of the spiritual descendants of Christ. Now, Genesis 15, only God walked through the pieces of flesh. How are we going to do that? How do we fit in? Do we pass through pieces of flesh? How are we going to pass through pieces of flesh to enter into covenant with the Lord? We know from various scriptures that Jesus was the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the Passover Lamb. And Jesus died at the time of the feast of the Passover. And when he yielded up his spirit and died, something happened in the temple. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, which was noon, 12 o'clock noon, Darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, well, he's calling on Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Get that part. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, here's a glimpse of the depths and the riches and the wisdom of God. We don't have time in this study to go through all of this, but in the tabernacle, there was 
the holy place and the holy of holies. And the veil, a veil separated the holy of holies from the holy place. It separated God from everything else. Now, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Watch this. How are we going to walk through the pieces of flesh? Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Now, if the veil represents Jesus, what happened to that thing? It was split in two from top to bottom. Sacrificial animal, the Passover lamb, the symbol of his flesh was split in two to become the flesh that we would walk through. God walked through pieces of flesh in Genesis 15. Now let's watch what it says, 1920. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So right here is a glimpse of the depths, the riches, the wisdom of God. A picture of the new covenant was laid out thousands of years ago when God commanded Moses how to construct the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews tells us that the earthly tabernacle that they built was patterned after God's throne in heaven. The veil separated the Ark of the Covenant from the people. God's presence dwelt above that Ark of the Covenant. Only once a year the high priest could go in there and he had to go taking blood and the people were shut out from the presence of God. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He tells us that the veil was four inches thick and that it would have taken two teams of oxen pulling in opposite directions to tear it apart. Who tore the veil? God tore the veil. It was torn from top to bottom. The veil of the flesh of Christ, the Passover lamb, was ripped in two. Christ was the covenant sacrifice. Now, you and I can walk through the pieces of flesh by faith and enter the presence of God. You with me? We enter into covenant with God, with Almighty God, through the sacrificial flesh and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We walk into God's presence through the sacrificed Christ. There is no other way to enter the presence of God except through Christ. Not going to get there any other way. God spent a whole lot of years designing all of this. 
And so we go through the rent veil of the flesh of Jesus. So God walked through the pieces of flesh in Genesis 15. You and I can now walk through pieces through Christ by faith. Now, when I do that, what happens when they walk? With, what, what does it mean to take that walk into death, to walk the pieces uh, between the pieces? I die to independent living. I die to my old way of life. I die to my rights to myself. And so when I get to that place, that produces repentance and surrender. That's a picture of salvation. It's what it is to believe God. I don't believe Him with my head. I believe Him with unqualified committal to Him. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Scripture is clear. A lot of other folks want to be the way, but they're... Uh -uh. Let me get you to look at Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34, Jesus is speaking. Now watch covenant here. Remember that the covenant relationship takes priority over all, over, over all other relationships. Remember Jonathan and David and Jonathan's dad, King Saul. Remember all of that. Watch verse 34, Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. That's a picture of covenant where he has priority. He has our unqualified committal. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes were going along with him and he turned and said to him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple because you're not in covenant. Okay? Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Why? Because we're in covenant. He gets first place. All right, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says it. This is when this verse started to make sense to me, when I understood the concept of covenant. Look what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. How's that? He put on me, I put on him. 
I am in him. I go where he goes. He went to the cross. I went there with him because I'm in him. All right, let's hurry on. Next thing is we exchange resources. We exchange resources. God has given us, as his covenant partners, access to all his resources. All that is mine has become his. We're covenant partners. We exchange. You know Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God shall do what? Supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Why will he do that? Because he's not going to break covenant. All that I have, my time, my resources, my abilities are his. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. We swapped bank accounts. He took mine and made all of his resources available to his covenant partners. His covenant partners. That though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We swapped. We swapped. The covenant cut has been sealed. Remember that when they made the covenant cut and mingled the blood, it was to show that the two had become one. Um, Their lives were intermingled. They held life in common. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. Watch this. Remember the covenant cuts, okay? But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And God says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you where? On the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. John chapter 20. Verse 24. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Lest I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again the disciples were inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, 
Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, hey, you want to touch this? Reach here your finger, see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it in my side and be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. He met Thomas at precisely at his point of need. He met Thomas. And Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. John is speaking and he said, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. A lamb standing as if what? Slain. Deuteronomy. We got to go to Deuteronomy. We're all over the place here. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 6. How am I, okay, so his, his covenant scars are where? In his hands. Are they still going to be there in heaven? Yeah. So he's bearing the covenant scars. How do I get scarred? Where's my covenant scar? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your descendants <clears throat> to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. Skipping over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Back up, I should say. Back up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 12. And now Israel, that would be us since we're descendants of Abraham, right? <clears throat> what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the people as it is today. Circumcise then your heart and stiffen your neck no more. I believe that as we can. Messiah Jesus as Lord and Savior, as we enter into covenant, as we're saved, His Spirit will circumcise our hearts. Also, there's another thought here, and <clears throat> again, a lot of this, we just see what it says, you know, where is God going with it? You remember that in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. 
That's a different kind of covenant scar, isn't it? My heart has been circumcised. But Paul was beaten, stoned, imprisoned. He was faithful to the covenant, wasn't he? And it cost him a beaten up body. And so he says, I've got marks of the Lord Jesus all over my body. I guess my question for my heart is, would I be willing to bear that kind of scar on his behalf? I'm going to have to save the rest of it for next time. Our time is up. But let me tell you something. Let me just track you through it quickly. We're going to exchange names with him. We're going to have a covenant meal with him. And when that covenant is completed, we are called friends of Jesus. So that's where we're going to have to start next week when we exchange names with the Lord Jesus. So let's review for one second. I've exchanged character. He took mine. I took his. We exchanged weapons. He took mine. I took his. You know what the greatest weapon I have is? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay? We exchanged weapons. We exchanged enemies. He took mine. I took his. We exchanged resources. He took mine. I took his. Who got the best end of that deal? Okay. So we go on and we'll track through it. But the covenant cut has been sealed. We have entered into covenant. So next week, we'll look at the covenant meal. And we'll pull all of this together because next week is our last time together on the blood covenant. Do you have any questions? Let's pray. Father, would you put this in our hearts? Would you let your spirit teach it to us? Make it real. Imprint it in our minds and hearts that we may know how to walk this out and understand what a privilege it is to be your covenant partner and to know you're going to do what you said you would do. I pray that you will help us when we get distracted and confused by the circumstances around us and those things that cause us to forget your commitment to us as our covenant partner. I pray that you will show us how to do battle with your enemy and that you will use that because we know that in the end, you win. So would you bless this? Would you bless our understanding? Put it in our memory. Cause us to take what you teach us and use it to glorify your name. I pray in Jesus' name. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Remember, if you would like to hear today's message in its entirety or hear the entire series, just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. 
That's kingdomrock.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast and get it on the go. And if you have a Roku device, make sure you search for Kingdom Rock TV. In there, you will find this program and so much more. We would also love to see you in a live service. Just go to our website to get the details at www.kingdomrock.org. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.